Well, please join me now in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're talking about thriving in exile in this walk through the book of 1 Peter. And we've just had a great time singing these songs to the Lord. How, how wonderful to sing of the goodness of God. And wouldn't you agree with me that Jesus is the greatest treasure of life? What could be better than knowing Jesus, walking with Jesus, the one who gave his life for us on the cross? Nothing greater than that. He's the great treasure. And so here we are in this room. We are among the believers in Jesus Christ. And as his believers, he has given us a very different destiny than we once had. We are now destined for heaven because of what Jesus did for us. We also have a very different purpose on the earth now than what we understood before we knew Jesus. We have a purpose, but we also have a new mindset as we live on the earth. And we've been seeing a lot about that here in 1 Peter. We're to be people living lives of love on the earth. We're to live lives of holiness, lives of humility. We've seen here in 1 Peter, we're to live lives of appropriate submission in our relationships and even grace toward our adversaries, even gracious toward those who hate us. So it's a beautiful life we've been called to. We might say it this way, those of us who know Christ are to live and love like Christ on the earth until he comes again. But even with our desire to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, even with our desire to love others as ourselves, like Christ has commanded, we know that there will be hatred coming back to us. There will be opposition coming to us because of the name of Jesus. Peter has talked a lot about it already, and just going to give you a heads up, he's going to talk more about it even after this week here in 1 Peter. We're going to read in just a moment in our text that, that there are things that are going to happen in this life, for things like this, that you may suffer for righteousness' sake. Peter's going to tell, let us know that you can suffer for doing good. Peter's going to tell us in our text today that you can be reviled for your good behavior. Let's hear it together now. These are the words of God through Peter. 1 Peter 3, let's start together in verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So there it is. Even after our efforts to love, to be holy, to not return evil for evil, but instead to respond with blessing, even with that, we will have those who oppose us. Persecution will still come. Notice here in our text, you will be reviled for your good behavior in Christ. So why does the world persecute Christians? Typically happens when you and I cannot go along with our unbelieving friends into their sin. So when the unbelievers say, join us in sin, we say, I can't do that. Uh, persecution can come then. We live in a time where not only are we persecuted for not participating in the sin, but we're persecuted now for not celebrating the sin of unbelievers. This is the age in which we live. So our unwillingness to reject God and his word will put a target on us. 
And we hear this now very commonplace in the culture. So radical activists will speak against Christians and they will say things like this, that Christians are using religion as a cover for their bigotry. That's a quote. That Christians are using religion as a cover for their bigotry. As if to say, nobody's really sincere about this. Nobody really sincerely believes the Bible. This is just a cover for their hatred. It's just not true. We sincerely know God and believe His Word and want to act on His Word, even speaking the truth in love. But that's the type of charge coming in. Recently, an immoral musical group out of San Francisco sang a song put it out on YouTube, got backlash for it as they should have. Then as they tried to defend themselves, they made this statement among others. They said, again, speaking of Christians, that they're using the Bible as a weapon. Well, to be fair, the Bible is a weapon. It's the sword of the Spirit. But we don't use it to do harm. We use it to bring healing, and it's the truth of God's Word. But what I want you to hear is, just like we were told back in A.D. 62 or A.D. 63, first century, Peter warns you, you will be reviled by unbelievers. You'll be reviled for your good behavior. So here's the question for us this morning. How do we thrive when we're suffering for righteousness? And so three ways that our text will remind us. First of all, be confident in God's blessing and reward. How how do I thrive when I'm suffering for righteousness? Well, be confident in God's blessing and reward. Back to verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Now, we might question that. Well, how can I possibly be blessed when I suffer? How can I be blessed when people are actually trying to persecute me because of Jesus and his word? How is it possible to have pain and blessing at the same time? But let me remind you, God has made this promise repeatedly in the Bible. Verse 9, remember this? Verse 9 said it this way, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, here it is, that you may obtain a blessing. So God says, I I will bless you when you're persecuted for me. So here comes a question, do you believe the Bible? Do you believe God's promises in the Bible? You say, I'm willing to be persecuted for the Bible. Well, make sure you believe the promises of the Bible. So when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for Jesus, God says, doesn't feel good, but you will be, you'll be blessed. God says, you'll obtain a blessing when you suffer for him. Now, let's talk together about how that might be true. In what ways could God bless us when we suffer at the hands of unbelievers? Well, first of all, you are blessed as God uses this suffering to accomplish something in your life. You're blessed when God uses your suffering to accomplish something in your life. James spoke this way. James chapter 1, verses 2 and following. He said, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So God can accomplish things even through the various trials he allows us to go through. Famously, Romans 8, 28 speaks this way. It says this, and we know that for those who love God, All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. But you already know this. If you have any spiritual maturity in your life, you're able to look back to the past and you're going to look back to some adversities, sufferings in your life, and you're able to go, you know, I grew a lot during that time of difficulty. I didn't enjoy a minute of it, but as I look back, that was a rich time of growth 
even through my suffering. So perhaps you became a more compassionate person as you look back and think, yeah, if, had I not gone through that thing that I hated that got a lot of my life, I wouldn't have had this level of compassion for others. Or maybe you could recognize that you became more patient. Or maybe your priorities sharpened during a previous time of suffering in your life. So you can be confident that God is blessing even through your sufferings in this life. Yesterday, Joy and I were reminiscing about that final year of seminary. And you've heard me share about this through the years. That final year, Joy stayed home to watch Hillary, our newborn baby at the time. And I continued school full time, did some janitor jobs. But I don't know if I've told you this, but there was a, a couple of months in there where a church in Oakland, Tennessee, not far from Memphis, they needed an interim pastor for, for two or three months. And they contacted me. And so in addition to those other things, uh, I, I became their interim pastor for that time. Now, during that time, we were, we were struggling financially. That, that word doesn't do justice. We were having a rough time. And grocery shopping in those days was very stressful. I remember being jealous of other people in the supermarket. I mean, I was rebuking myself for being jealous of others, but I was struggling with that. So I'd see these people with their shopping carts heaped with groceries, probably trying to keep it all in. And there I am with my shopping cart. I've got, a, I've got an opposite goal. I'm trying to get as few things as necessary for us to kind of survive on. And I'm buying things like mac and cheese, generic mac and cheese. We're not doing craft. That's too rich for us. We're getting generic mac and cheese and really kick it up a notch. Sometimes we get a little can of tomato, tomato sauce and we would just really take it up to a high level. That was good eating during that year. So that's, that's where we were struggling uh, financially. And I didn't enjoy any of that. It was very difficult. It just went on and on and day after day, week after week, just trying to make it. So, so this church, First Baptist Church, Oakland, Tennessee, invites me to be their interim pastor for a few months. We didn't move. We didn't move from Memphis to Oakland. I could make the trip every Sunday, and we did. But listen, they had a pounding for us. If you're new to church, you may not know that word. A pounding back in the day was when a new pastor came to live now among the people. They would bring a pound of sugar, a pound of flour, paper towels, canned goods, all that stuff. I don't know why they had a pounding for us. We didn't move. Oh, but what a blessing it was. Joy was reminding me yesterday. He said, do you remember, you remember the cabinets that were bare before that? And we brought all that food back to our apartment in Memphis, and now our cabinets were full. What a wonderful way that God provided so in those times of struggle, I'm just trying to illustrate, God will do some things in you during times of suffering. We don't like it. I don't like it. But I just wrote down some things that God taught me just through that one of many times of suffering. But I learned this, that God is good even in our struggles. I learned this, that God will let you struggle. I used to like those stories where God comes in at the last second and keeps you from struggling. I love those stories. And I love when God does that. But God will also let you go through seasons of struggle, and he's still good in that. I learned through that time of suffering that God will provide in his timing and in his ways. I learned this, that God stirred in us a lifelong compassion for people who struggle financially. When you go through it for a long period of time, you have compassion for others. We're just making the point that in our sufferings, however they may come, God can be counted on to bless in those. And one way is to accomplish something in your life. Not only that, but we're blessed with the opportunity for a special nearness with God in our struggles. We might say this way, a special intimacy with God when we go through suffering. And many of you who've suffered, you, you know that to be true. Paul spoke that way to the Philippians, Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So there is potential 
for a deeper walk with Christ that we would not have otherwise had when we go through suffering and we draw near to Him. Maybe you've experienced this. You go through some hardship or hardships and you turn to the Scripture, which is always the right thing to do, and you find, you know what? I get the Scriptures now better because of the suffering I'm now going through. You read the Psalms from the posture of suffering and you go, I I now understand what David's talking about here when he cries out to God and when he's asking these questions, but then when he comes back to this exalting in the goodness of God, I get Paul now. And I get, I get David now in that. Or how about in Acts, when you see the apostles suffering and suffering as they take the gospel across the Roman Empire. We think, I, I get that. I know what it's like now to suffer like them. Or when you read Job, you think, okay, now I understand Job. Or when you read First Peter, where we are, where, where he keeps talking about suffering. Do you remember the occasion when Paul talked about that thorn in his flesh? He said, I, God allowed this in my life, some difficulty he referred to as a thorn in the flesh, to keep me from becoming conceited, he said. But I want you to hear how Paul then began began to value that suffering because of that special nearness that he experienced with God through it. Here's what he says. This is 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and following. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We're just talking about in our sufferings, we can be confident in the blessings of God. But there's another way we can be confident in His blessings. We can be, we'll be blessed with eternal rewards from God. We are blessed with the eternal rewards that God will give because of our faithfulness. Jesus spoke this way in the Beatitudes. Do you remember this? In Matthew 5, 10 and following, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Listen to this. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So God promises to be doing things in your life now when you suffer, but also he promises eternal blessings. Did you notice the words of Jesus? Matthew 5, 10 and following. For your reward is great in heaven. So even in those times where I don't know what possible good could be coming from this, I can't see what he possibly could be teaching me. Well, then just step back and go, well, I know this. Jesus himself has promised that there will be rewards in heaven on top of the free gift of eternal life through through faith in Jesus. On top of that gift, he says through faithfulness in times of suffering, he will load us up with blessings. We will not be disappointed on that day when we see what he does for us. So in our sufferings, maintain your confidence by maintaining an eternal perspective. In this life, expect persecution, but expect the blessings of God at the same time time. Again, our text, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. So first of all, we thrive in suffering, being confident of God's blessing and reward. Secondly, we thrive in suffering, being clear on whom you fear. Be clear on whom you fear. So when it comes to mere men, you and I are not to be fearful. We aspire to be fearless as we think about what men and women might threatened to do to us. Verse 14 again tells us don't fear men, but even if you, if you should suffer for righteousness sake, 
you will be blessed. Now listen to this. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. The New American Standard Bible translates it this way. Do not fear their intimidation. So our move, no matter what comes our way, is not to be the fear of other people. And so notice here, verse 13 is very interesting. It says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? So we meditate on that. We process this in a couple of ways. First of all, it is generally true. If you're a person who wants to do good, you're zealous to do good on the earth, then you will avoid some suffering. Typically, you're going to avoid being in trouble with the law when you think, I just want to live a good life. But on the contrary, though, we also know that from the context of 1 Peter, that people will actually persecute you for seeking to do good. And so the question there is, who is there to harm you when you're doing good? It reminds us of the question asked in Romans 8.31. Remember this? If God is for us, who's against us? The Word of God doesn't say you won't have people against you. It's just, who are they? What's the big deal compared to God? Who are they? So, for example, watching the NBA, and what if during one of the press conferences after one of the games, one of the stars is sitting there behind the microphone, and a reporter asks, hey, what do you think about the fact that there's a guy in Glen Allen, Virginia named Jim Booth who's opposing you and rooting against your team? What do you think that NBA star would would do with the news that a guy named Jim Booth is rooting against him? He'd ask two questions. Who? (laughs) Who's that? And then the second question would be, so? I mean, it's of no consequence to him. Who is this? And this is our approach as well. Yeah, people will oppose. There will be persecution. But if God is for us, who who is against us? And so here's the point. We're not to fear mere men. We're to fear Christ alone. Back to verse 14. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Peter's saying, do not fear men, don't fear their threats, fear only Christ. Verse 15, also wonderful here. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. New American Standard Bible translates it this way. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. What's that all talking about? So set apart, exalt Christ to his rightful place in your heart and your mind. Be very clear that Christ the Lord is, he is Lord. He alone is holy and exalted, set apart to that place in your life. It's critical that you know that. So if we're not going to fear people, we need to make sure that I do then fear only Jesus. So let's say it this way. Your fearful flesh is not Lord. Your desire for safety and comfort is not Lord. This hostile culture that we all live in now is not Lord. Your friend group, they're not Lord. The Supreme Court is not Lord. The president's not Lord. The local school board is not Lord. Your boss is not the Lord. Facebook's not the Lord. Instagram's not the Lord. Amazon's not the Lord. Do not fear them. Fear only Christ, the Lord. I love how starkly Jesus taught this as well in Matthew 10, 28. Listen to the words of our Savior. He says, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's Jesus. Strong words. He's saying the worst that a human being can do to you is kill your body. Don't fear them, but fear God. God's the one who can take your body and sentence your soul to hell. And and for unbelief, God will sentence many there. If you're going to fear, you should fear God only. Don't fear men. 
So we should be fearless in these days. Yes, respectful. Yes, and rightful submission. Yes, giving appropriate honor. But no fear other than the fear of God. Peter taught us that back in chapter 2, verse 12. Remember this? Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So the key to thriving in faithfulness in a time of opposition is being clear on whom you fear. We might say it this way, whom you fear, that's the one you're going to obey. And we have great examples of that in the scripture. I love the Hebrew midwives. In that occasion when the children of Israel, God's people were enslaved in Egypt, the Pharaoh was nervous about the growth of his slave population. And so he ordered the Hebrew midwives, kill the Hebrew baby boys. Let the girls live, but kill the boys. But I love those Hebrew midwives. They feared God more than the great pagan, brutal emperor Pharaoh. They weren't in his face about it. They just knew we can't do that. So they were shrewd about it. They just kept letting the Hebrew baby boys live. But I love that. Are you able to do that in your mind? I I have all these threats and all these things that might happen if I don't go along with the pagan culture. Do you fear God more than you fear them? Or how about Joshua 24, 15? I love this. He said this, and if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Or I love the apostles. Every time they were told, stop preaching about Jesus, they would say to the authorities, I must obey God rather than men. And I love the words of Paul in Galatians 1.10. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So this is how we size up the challenges of our day. We have the adversary on one side telling us, do this or else. And we have God himself here, and we go, who, who is this? Who is, who is this adversary that I would fear them? I will not fear them. I will fear the Lord Jesus alone. So let's thrive even when we suffer for Christ, being confident of his blessings, even his future reward. Let's be confident these days, being clear on whom we fear, fearing Christ only. But then this, let's thrive being always ready to share the gospel. Let's thrive by being always ready to share the gospel. Back to verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Peter says, be ready to speak of Christ always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So even in suffering, we can't lose sight of our mission. Even in our suffering and opposition, we can't lose sight of the message of hope that has been given to us for the world. So we can't lose sight of that. In a world of brokenness and sin, we have in Christ a message of forgiveness and life. We must proclaim it. In a world of division and moral chaos, We have in Christ a message of hope. And so believer, understand first of all the hope that you do have. I hope you live every moment in light of the hope you have, an undiminished hope even when there's opposition. We know Christ 
And are you ready then to share that message every day, every time you leave the house, every time you get out of your car? Are you eager and ready to share this message of hope? And you're going to have opportunities, more opportunities coming up. Have you noticed that cultural Christianity is fading fast? When you were younger, perhaps, you can remember a time when you and your unsaved neighbors all had the same morality. Not everybody was living it, but everybody tended to agree in the Christian culture that some things are good, some things are bad, and and even your unsaved friends all kind of agreed. And when they knew they were bad, like, yeah, I really should change this, but I still prefer this. But you know that's all changed now. There is no consensus in our culture about what is good and what is bad. That's a point of contention here. So it's going to become increasingly clear in the days ahead when you will not go along with the world and their disobedience to God, when you won't do what they do, they're going to be asking the question, why won't you just comply? Why won't you just get along and do what everybody else is doing? Why won't you get on the right side of history with the rest of us? You're going to have an opportunity to speak of the hope you have in Jesus Christ. It might not have been how you scripted and wanted to have an evangelistic encounter, but this is the context that Peter's given us here. When they're slandering, when they're saying things, why won't you come along? Oh, this is your opportunity. I'm going to talk about the hope I have in Jesus Christ. That's where I want to go. I want to go to the gospel with this message. And so we want to share hope. Can I ask you this? When you're sharing the gospel these days, is that what is that what's, it's coming through to the person you're sharing with? Are they hearing a hopeful message from you? No, it's true. When you share the gospel, you're going to have to pretty soon come to sin. The cross makes no sense if you don't at some point talk about sin here because that's where Jesus paid for our sins and took away the condemnation our sin deserves. So start off kind, be relational, whatever, but at some point you're going to come to this brokenness, this sin in all of us and that Jesus loved us so much. So even when you're talking about sin, here's the point, you're hopeful there. So you're also being humble, man, we've all sinned and and I've sinned, and, and here's the hope. Jesus came to rescue us from our sin. He came to rescue us from the condemnation we deserve. What God is like our God. And so you're speaking a message of hope. That should be coming through to the people around you. But notice this. He tells us how to do this. He says, do this with gentleness and respect. Did you notice? Yet do it, share your hope, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Here's a reminder that how we share matters greatly. The, the elements of the gospel message, critically important. There is no gospel, but the gospel we have in the scriptures. But how we share, the attitude we have is speaking very loudly. Our tone, our lives speaking very loudly. And notice he calls for us to have gentleness and respect as we share this message of hope in a hostile world. I love 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. Paul gave the same exact message to Timothy. Listen to this. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And so interact with others, sharing the gospel with gentleness and respect. For the sake of your conscience, but for the sake of also your very testimony. And Peter, as we've seen, very concerned about our testimony before a watching world. We saw this in 1 Peter 2.12. We saw this in 1 Peter 2.15, that we want to silence the foolish accusations of the world around us by the way we live. But we know it's difficult, isn't it? There's a lot that saddens us in these days, right? 
Do you have that sometimes? You, you, you hear the news, you hear the opinions going around, you see it on social media, and you find your heart sad to see the falling of a once great nation, and you see where it's heading, and you go, That's just, this is just sad. But nevertheless, when we're sharing the gospel, we're not sharing a message of gloom. We know the God who can raise the dead. And so we're bringing good news to people. Though we're possessing sadness, that's real. But we say, but I have Jesus Christ. This is all temporary. He's coming again. We can be hopeful even when we're sad. Let me ask you this. Do you ever find yourself angry when you're watching the news or when you're on social media? Do you ever find yourself welling up what I hope is a righteous anger? You're like, this is just offensive. This is just evil. Calling good evil and evil good. This is just horrible. What do you do with that anger? Oh, you need God's help to manage that because we're then to take a message of hope into a world that is so confused and dark. We're to do it with gentleness and respect. The word of God couldn't be more clear here. And don't we need the Holy Spirit to enable us to do what seems impossible to us? So let's thrive as the elect exiles of God. Let's maintain confidence in our God even when we suffer because of the blessings and the rewards of God. Let's remain also clear that I fear only one in these days. I'll be fearless when it comes to other people. Let's maintain and thrive through the fear of Christ only, and let's maintain our mission of sharing the gospel. Aren't you glad for the examples in the scripture we've looked at? But can I also, as we close, direct your attention to brothers and sisters in Asia who are doing this really, in, I think, in heroic ways. One of our friends that serves overseas has shared recently about courageous men and women in their families who have taken a bold step of faith in their Islamic country. You know, in many countries of the world, you have to declare on your documents what religion you are. And so could you imagine how risky it is? You grew up a Muslim in a Muslim-dominated country, and now when you register, you're going to let the authorities know, I'm now Christian. Great risk for them. And yet, a number of families have recently done that in one Muslim country, a country we won't name even now. This, this is going on in these weeks. But here's what we're told. One of the leaders said this. One of these leaders of the families registering now as Christians, he said, we are not called to live and work safe, but to boldly stand for our faith in Christ and share his gospel to the world. We're talking in the midst of life or death decisions. This isn't whether or not somebody's going to say something mean about me on social media. This is not even about somebody maybe going to make it difficult at work on Monday. This is life or death where they are. But here again, our brother in Christ, we are not called to live and work safe, but to boldly stand for our faith in Christ and to share his gospel to the world. That's thriving in exile. That's courage. That's confidence. Listen, we want to be just like that. Same Holy Spirit. Same Bible, let's be those people in our day. Let's pray together.